Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to our latest Out Sports podcast. It is the beginning of March Madness, and uh, I am already out of the running for the billion dollars because I had Ohio State winning, and they lost a last-second game to to Dayton. <laughs> Ohio State losing to Dayton. I had but Jim, Dayton. You you are still alive. Oh, I'm alive for about another twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had Dayton, and then because of John Branch in the New York Times, I took Colorado to beat Pitt, and they're down by 28 at halftime, so that's a goner. Well, what does John Branch have to do with anything? He went to Colorado, and he's always tweeting about Colorado, Colorado. But I'll take Colorado for John because it's an eight versus nine, and I don't know anything so about college basketball. <laughs> well, it's when you don't know anything that you end up winning these these brackets. I I know I have. There's not been a year when I knew less than I know now, than I knew this season yeah, I, about, have, about I, I the tournament. I just haven't followed as much. Uh, who'd you pick in the final? I picked uh, Arizona over Michigan, Arizona over some Michigan State in the final. How on earth did you and I end up with the same champion? That's the you have Arizona? Part. Oh, funny. Well, I, Arizona over Pac- Syracuse. Must be the Pac-12 bias. I have Syracuse losing to Dayton in the next round. You know, my feeling was that that Syracuse, you know, kind of hit bad times. I often look back at the rankings in November and December, and and determine what I'm gonna, uh, you know, what I'm gonna pick by that. Because so often it's just those teams with a lot of talent who get through. Well, I thought that with Iowa because Iowa played great, and so I took Iowa to win last night and then its first two games, and they lost in overtime. But fortunately, the bracket simply counted Tennessee as my winner, meaning you don't get credit for the final of the first four because they don't have the game listed. So I was able to at least pick, even though Iowa lost, I was able to redo my bracket for those two rounds. So kind of a glitch. In the Wait, system. you had a, you had a team going to the I had second the, round. I had I had that was a play. In? I, I, the play, and I had them going to the Sweet Sixteen, Iowa, and they lost. And they lost, but when I looked at my bracket, it had filled in Tennessee in those two rounds because it basically said the team would be playing oh. the winner of the I Tennessee. So I just, I just, I don't even, I think I switched that or something. But I had the same theory. Well, I was played great in the season, early in the season. They were a top ten team, and whatever. Well, if you'd like to, to call into the show and talk about your bracket, uh, we are at three four seven nine four five seven eight three four. Uh, also, we got to talk about Michael Sam. Today was his pro day. Have you been? Do we well, following kind of people, on Twitter? Me, uh, we'll have a guest in a few minutes. So, big ones. The author of the uh, research on cockocracy, size in the locker room. So, you want to stay for that? But uh, yeah, Michael Sam's pro day in Missouri. What do Kevin, I know? Uh, did you pay attention? Yes. <laughs> well, he didn't do badly. I mean, it's, he improved on his forty time, and he improved on his high jump, and he improved on his um, his lifting. So, I mean, he improved at least. Uh, just how much, you know? Watching Bill Pulley on the ESPN, he's like, 
yeah, he proved about just about what we'd expect. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then he hurt his hamstring, so he's kind of done for the day. Though yeah, he hurt his hamstring. Yeah, good. He hurt his hamstring, and then he did the high jump, which I I, I didn't understand, but yeah, I don't beats me. And then he was singing. Uh, he was singing some song to his, <laughs> his teammates. Where I just retweeted out a thing from Eric at the the Missourian that Michael Sam was singing a Beyonce, a Beyonce song or something. Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey. Well, as, as the rest of his teammates were beautiful. Was it? I mean, I wonder. <laughs> I don't know. Like, does it does it help his cause that he's singing these songs or does? Oh, I don't. Well, I mean, of course, ESPN. It was only the only head coach there was Chip Kelly, the Eagles, and they had their defensive coordinator, and there were a couple of linebackers coach. I mean, I think some people go to these pro days, and some they see tape. And you know, Paulian's the best at this. He just said that tape doesn't lie. He's kind of the kind of guy we thought he was. (laughs) And he goes, "Well, he'll be drafted anywhere in the third to the seventh round, which is whatever we've been saying all along." So, doesn't seem like the pro day did much to hurt him. And um, hopefully the hamstring isn't serious. Well, that's a, a, a lot of it is just getting through injury, and, and teams wanting to make sure that 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 uh, the, the, the player they're going to draft is in good health. And um, but Howard Bragman did call me just a few minutes before we got on the radio. It's Michael's publicist, and he said it's a, it's a it's a tweak. And again, Michael did the high jump after he injured his hamstring, so he can't be that badly injured, and he improved his high jump by six inches, which is that, that the, the, uh, the other improvements were, were marginal. This That improvement is, that's a lot. I mean, to go from 24 inches to 30 inches in <laughs> in three weeks, that, that, that's a big that's a big change. Yeah, so the next thing he has is whatever teams will be meeting with him or looking at him or talking to him, and, and then we have the draft, and it's still, God, the draft is still like seven weeks away. Do you know do do teams do individual workouts for third, fourth, fifth, they have sixth a, round they players? Have in the, they have in the past. Whether or not they'll do it for someone who's supposed to be drafted out of the top two rounds, I don't know. Probably rare. Well, that's what I mean. Somebody who is not supposed to go in the first two rounds. Yeah, I, can, I, I, I really can't say. Probably not. It would also be interesting to kind of see who does have him work out for them and who he does take meetings with. So, Well, so now, now, I mean, it was interesting. He came out two weeks later was the combine. Three weeks later was his pro day. Now, like you said, there's six, seven weeks between now and the draft. It's kind of, it's dead time for this story. Yeah, but, exactly. And but I think, they'll you keep know, it going they'll... somehow. <laughs> Well, there's not much to keep going at a certain point. I mean, it's really been kind of dead since the combine. You know, the, there's really nothing to say about it. Yeah. Um, he works out when he works out, and then I mean, the fact that the Eagles' head coach was there, maybe, maybe they also could have been looking at uh, the guy who was expected to go in the first round, Coney Ely, his teammate. So I'd probably well, doubt that Chip Kelly there for Michael Sam. He's probably there for to see look at Coney Ely because he might could be the Eagles' first pick. Well, that, that's why I was kind of surprised that there weren't more head coaches and coordinators there because there are other guys there, and, and, and Ely is supposed to go in the first couple of rounds. So it was, it was a little surprising that there weren't more people there. 
Maybe nobody wants to go to Missouri in March. <laughs> you know, they have so many scouts. They have so much. You know, they have so many scouts and tape that you kind of wonder at a certain point, do you really need to be there for this thing? I remember I went to the SC Pro Day when Reggie Bush came out, and that thing was just a zoo because there was Bush, there was Lineit, there were so many people. It was like a star-studded cast. Um, but even then, there weren't a ton of coaches. There were probably maybe eight or nine head coaches, but there weren't 20. But there were a lot of – every team said scouts. So, it's you know, even for the big names, they, the head coach doesn't feel like – you know, Bill Belichick wasn't at the Reggie Bush Pro Day. Yeah, well, of course. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, at some point, they've, they've been to the Combine. They They have – hours and hours and hours and hours of tape on the person. They're going to get the results from from the pro day, which are just a bunch of numbers to compare to the combine. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, there really isn't <laughs> much reason for any of them to go. And they all have these scouts in various regions of the country. Well, either way... Yeah, and they the- talk to their friends in the, in the business, and they get a sense of it. And so, yeah, it's... Watching Bill Pullian on ESPN, though, is, is, is fun because he's so like, yeah, we're at a pro day, and yeah, he's about what we thought he was, and he's just so flat, like doesn't get phased by anything. Though he, though he, he did say one, one thing that really struck me. He said, uh, this is a media story. It's not an NFL story. And, he's, and he's not told that last. He told me that last year. I interviewed him, and that's what he kept saying. This is a media story, a media. And he, his whole point was, at least for him, all he cares about is the football side. Can the guy play? The rest of it's all the media interested in it. So, yeah, yeah I heard him say that today, too. Well, I'm seeing from Eric Hall, who's a reporter with the uh, Columbia Missourian or the Missouri Columbian, whatever the paper's called. He's going to kill me for mastering it. But Michael Sam's doing some swimming drills now, so that the hamstring can't be that badly done. He just did some footwork drills, so that's a that's a good sign. Uh, all Eric. All Eric. Yes. What? Uh, I was going to say you can follow Eric uh, on Twitter at Hall Eric. Oh, E R I K. Yes, H A L L E R I K. All right. So we we've never tried calling a guest before, and so we're gonna we're gonna try that now. Jim is gonna try to get what's 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 the guy's name. It's Chris Morris Roberts. He's a researcher in England, uh, lecturer at the University of Brighton. He wrote a great story for this week on uh, we call the cockocracy, size in the locker room, on penis size in the locker room, and it has been a huge hit this week. And uh, so I'm going to try to connect Chris, and if this flops, um, Sid, you can keep talking while I try to figure this out. <laughs> you can't. Well, I don't know. Yeah, well, so, yeah, are you trying him? You're trying, all right, so go ahead. So you're trying him on Skype. You're not trying to call his phone. I'm not trying to call his phone. All right. So do you know how to do you know how to to add him to a call? Yeah, I'm just trying to find his name though. So <laughs> technical expertise at its best with the uh, Sports Radio. By the way, if you yeah, want to call in again, three four seven nine four five seven eight three four. We could talk here. Your uh, your NCAA bracket. Uh, we can talk Michael Sam, and soon we can talk penis size when we have our our guest on the phone. Well, the story has really have gotten a lot of attention. 
for what Chris wrote, which is, you know, that penis size does matter in these locker rooms? Well, but it's something that we already knew. And I'm also curious but it was, to know... It was, it, it, it's easy. He, uh, he only talked to eight people, which... Uh, that I want to dig into a little bit. Like, yeah, how do you come to a thing. scientific conclusion talking to eight people? Well, there are ways that it's considered a valid... Uh, Methodology that I know for a fact, but um, well, yeah. Well, so, well this isn't. Huh. It maybe works. Can you hear me, Sid? Yeah. Well, it's dialing. Uh, Luke. It worked. Great. Chris, this is Jim, and I'm on with Sid, and uh, it was our first attempt to add someone on Skype on a live podcast, so it, it, I was successful. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you both. <laughs> we would have been talking about penises all by ourselves for the last 20 minutes. We couldn't get you. <laughs> well, it's all I've been thinking about for the last three days. <laughs> well, yeah, Chris, we You and we, me both. <laughs> So uh, we actually approached us, God, last fall sometime, and then we you just you just because of the holidays we kind of lost touch, and then you wrote me, and I had you write this piece, and it ran Monday. And were you expecting the kind of reaction you've gotten, and what kind of reaction have you gotten? Quite intense. I think I've been a little bit shell shocked the last few days. I uh, didn't expect. I you know I wrote it for you and thought you know I was really excited about writing for Outsports.com and I've followed you for years and I, I, it's fascinating all your articles and I thought I'd you know love to be part of that and then I thought you know there'll be some people that will read it but I did not think that you know it's caused quite a controversy. Uh, well, yeah, describe it. You said where have you seen the article being picked up and discussed? Um, it's been discussed in the Daily Mail online. It's been on the Independent online. It's been in the Huffington Post, U.S. and U.K. It's been on so many websites. I, I can't, uh, you know, follow them all. Basically, um, people, well, people are obsessed are by not surprising. <laughs> so, Chris, could you give our uh, our, our listeners a, a quick? synopsis of what your research found on, uh, as you said, does cock size really matter in sport? Well, the first thing that I want to say is that I think people, the impression I think people have got online is that I did a whole PhD on <laughs> the penis, which I didn't. Um, my, my PhD was about how sportsmen connect with their body and why they choose and wear the shoes they do. Um, and to get men to sort of understand that point, how they understand their bodies and their shoes. I had to get them to talk about their bodies and the sportsmen I interviewed, and I know it wasn't a lot of sportsmen, the penis came up in every single interview. And that's how, you know, the, the penis uh, talk, the cockocracy came to, came to being, really. Um, so um, the key findings were then um, gay or straight, you know, men did look at each other. All, all the participants commented on looking, even, you know, growing up through youth um, and their childhood, saying that it was sort of a focal area in the locker room that they gossiped about or, you know, um, looked at or whoever. There was bits I didn't include in the, in the final thesis, which um, were just examples about, 
you know, puberty was quite an interesting one for lots of the participants at the sort of young age, so when they were just starting out in sports. And um, it didn't really fit into the, the thesis very well, but puberty was quite an interesting part of that, you know, the growth uh, of their bodies. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, um, talking, you know, they then spoke about, um, you know, getting it hard so it didn't look as small as it would in front of other men. Um, the most interesting thing, which is in the sort of um, the, the piece I wrote, was about uh, those men with a larger penis seemed to attract the rest of the team. And the, the team revered that guy as sort of some sort of god amongst them all. And, uh, you know, even if he wasn't that great at rugby or football, he, he did something to the team which brought them all together. So when they went out clubbing or socialising, um, they had a great time because he had a big cock. <laughs> <laughs> what? So, but explain that. Uh, sorry, I didn't catch that bit. So just to explain that. Like, how does that... What's the... Uh, he went out and had a good time because he had a big cock? I don't understand what... Does it make well, sense? they're... Um, they, it was because he he sort of carried this sort of kudos of masculinity. Like he was the one with the big cock. He they all looked up to him because he uh, sort of had a swagger about him or a you know a strut about him. That when they went out, the other men felt more confident because they had him at their side. He was almost like their um, mascot of masculinity, <laughs> which they all carried with them to say yeah you know we've got him we're as cock you know just by one of them having a large cock the rest of them were as uh you know masculine so, so i think i called it in my book i called it sort of cock by proxy or something that they uh you know just associated with him they were masculine but you said the women that they try to like they would go up to women and kind of brag about the guy's size and they just kind of rolled their eyes yeah, yeah, they they weren't too impressed. There's an interesting. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched. There's a um, there was a video. There was a program that was done in the UK about rugby players and their social lives and uh, various things. You can find it online. Um, and it's interesting on this video. This group of rugby players, they're all sort of stripping off and whacking each other's cocks around and smacking and out clubbing in bars and uh, stuff. And the girls in those videos around are just looking as if to say, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, it's uh, the girl in, in, you know, what was reported in my work, they didn't seem that impressed by it. So, so is it it's, it's up, in the, in the, the piece that you, you, you talked with, with eight subjects, is that right? So, sorry, I didn't catch that. You, you talked with eight athletes, right? Yeah, that's right. Great. So, so the question that that I had and a lot of other people: How do you come to conclusions just talking on to eight different people? I mean, how is like scientifically or academically? How does that? How how is that like a justifiable sample? Well, um, yeah, this is sort of you know reading online, and this is the biggest debate I think going on, and I never. The, the, the method that I chose was interpretive phenomenological analysis, which looked at, you know, interpretation. It looked at meaning. Um, and the sample sizes with the, my chosen methodology was a small sample. It, you know, that's what they suggest you do. And um, 
They talk about homogeny, which is a small, you know, a sample of people that are very similar to other people, which you can map against. So say a rugby player in um, London might be very similar to a rugby player in Bath, and they might have similar experiences. But by no means am I saying like this is the world over, all these sportsmen have the same experiences. I think it's quite hard in qualitative research to capture all those experiences. This is just a small sample, and I acknowledge that. But it's quite hard to then, you know, when you write a small article like this, that it's not blown out of proportion, which I think has happened, um, because I never expected so many people to read it. Um, and the PhD itself, the thesis of my book, Jococracy, is very theoretically driven. Um, you know, I use queer theory and masculinity theory, and I pull these theories apart with ideas, and I map them against, you know, um, other, you know, philosophical contexts and make up other philosophies. So they sort of double, there's two strands to my work, really. There's the theory, which is more philosophical, and then there's the, the finding. So um, I don't know if that makes sense or helps at all, but... Um, I understand that it's a small sample and it was never going to be. Um, and one of the problems is actually to get men to talk about their bodies and masculinity and their shoes. It was a, you know, it, it tests men to talk about those questions and ask about those things. So recruitment was not an easy, you know, I approached um, lots and lots of clubs around London, a vast area, and, you know, it was hard to recruit. Well, it sounds like they actually don't have a problem talking about it, or or um, or you know being naked together, or, or partaking in what you're talking about. It's just maybe they don't want to talk about talking about it. Yeah, I think that I think once I had found participants and they met me and we started chatting, it was very interesting. All eight participants. After they, because I, I took my participants on a journey. So with each interview, I spoke about their childhood, what their childhood meant, when they first engaged in sports, what sports they did, were their parents involved, how they moved up through sport, how their body changed through those periods of time. So that when I got could ask questions about shoes and footwear and that connection, they'd understand their whole historical background. Um, but each taking the men on that journey, each participant emailed me afterwards and wanted to see me again because they had found it very cathartic to talk through all these issues that they'd never really thought about before. And they all came back again to talk to me. Just, well, it's, just one it's quick thing uh, just so the right, listeners sure. can call in. If you want to call in and talk to Chris, uh, we're at 347-945-7834. What, what, what's interesting about what you just said and, and what's in the article is it, it seemed at least you spoke to four gay and four straight athletes that the gay athletes seemed a little more reticent or reserved about that in the locker room, yeah. whereas the straight guys seemed like they had no problem showing it off or joking about it. Was that because the gay guys didn't want to conform to what has been the stereotype that there's these sex-crazed people in the locker room? Definitely. There was in Jococracy, there is a section I write in my book about, I call it, de-emphasizing queer in fear of homophobia. And that was that if you look too long, the gay participants were worried that they might get caught out or someone might say something that you were staring too long. Um, so there was sort of a 
reservation that the gay participants had that they might be caught out or if they weren't out, they might be spotted as, you know, being gay um, in that environment. So it was quite, they, some of the gay participants had quite a tricky, you know, uh, relationship with it. One of them even said they didn't, he didn't feel like we should be changing in the same block, you know, the same locker rooms. Really? Yeah, he felt, he felt like it was unfair to them, the straight men that he could potentially be staring at them. Hmm. Which I found... Well, how long is too long? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I... I I'm serious. Like, never... <laughs> did, did they talk about that? No, it was sort of like an unspoken, just look, you know, it. I didn't... Um, the one thing I didn't ask was, how long did you stare for? I think it was an unspoken or a spoken rule that they just knew. They knew who was the largest and who was the smallest. And you said the largest even had some problems because they had to prove their prowess because some people thought it was too big that women wouldn't want it. Was that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was um, th there were two examples of that where if, you know, the penis was too big, people didn't believe that you could actually use that. Like, w could you actually use that on someone? So... Part of that negotiation of masculinity was you had to prove that you could sleep with men or women, but you could actually use it. It wasn't just like this huge thing that hung between your legs. You actually had to use it as well to keep up that status within your group so that the rest of the team revered you. And, you know, there's lots of work and, you know, written about, you know, promiscuity and sexual deviancy in sport and that. So it sort of fitted quite well into those sort of, you know, understandings of uh, practices in sport. So what's next for you? Are you going to, uh, you going to do a bigger study? or? <laughs> well, I think, um, the, 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 you know, the stress I felt the last few days about having something out there about the penis as a podiatrist. Because podiatry is my first career. Um, I think my next thing is, um, you know, because my other stuff is podolinguistics, which is, you know, what shoes mean to you and what, you know, why you wear them um, and what people read into those shoes. Um, so I think I'm going to do more studies in that area. Oh, that is a big shame because you're a great writer about this. But uh, Chris, actually, that you know, and I, I'll take the responsibility for that because you offered me the uh, one on the footwear and the one on the penis size, and of course, yeah. I chose the I chose the latter. But I do want to run your story uh, and your findings on shoe size. Can you tell people a little bit what you discovered about athletes and their footwear? That's well, interesting. Was, yeah, that was also quite why well, I found it really interesting and. Um, was a, um, it was about brightly coloured shoes. Um, so sportsmen that wore brightly coloured footwear, they um, they gave off a like a language. I called it polo linguistics, and this signifying languages. If you wore bright shoes on the pitch, on the rugby pitch, football pitch, whichever pitch, or in tennis, um, if they were bright, it gave off a signal that you were cocky or that you thought you were really masculine or you were a better sportsman than you maybe were. So in things like football and rugby, for instance, if you gave off those signify, that signifying language to other sportsmen, um, other sportsmen on the, the opposite team would then try and damage you and hurt you to prove that your shoes 
actually weren't giving off the language you thought they were. <laughs> so there was lots of examples of, um, you know, people like Ronaldo, you know, Beckham, they can get away with these, um, you know, brightly coloured shoes because they can actually do what their shoes are saying they do, whereas there's other sportsmen that can't and they get broken legs and, um, uh, you know, they get damaged through trying to, you know, give off this overt language. Well, so, this is so fascinating yeah, that, stuff, and it's, 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 I'm, I'm glad you wrote it. Stuff that, I mean, we all knew that, that <laughs> straight guys looked, and we all knew that penis size mattered. And now we, now we know for scientific fact. Yeah. Well, and I thought that was interesting that despite the small sample, the overwhelming reactions that I've seen is, oh, yeah, we knew this already. This is what we suspect that guys yeah. look, that straight guys look and they compare, and it just sort of, I thought the anecdotes were great. I love the one comment about the guy having the biggest dick in Scottish basketball. Well, one, the fact that Scots play basketball is news to me. And so I want to know about how big is a big dick in Scottish basketball. Yeah, well, I keep thinking I want to see it. <laughs> and they did do that, and they weigh that in stones then, as opposed to pounds. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it was, you know, it is interesting how... Um, you know, lots of, lots of the things I've read online are, yeah, but we knew this already. But interestingly, there's nowhere really that says it anywhere or has it documented in any, you know, really in literature. So particularly in sports. So it was quite, um, I kept saying, well, at least you've got it now to, to you know, say, tell you everything you already knew. Well, we're sorry we stressed you out the last three days, Chris. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I, I've, I've got fixed you. <laughs> Uh, and said you'll be happy. Pat Hanlon of the New York Giants favorited the tweet saying we're talking to the author of Cockocracy. So that was pretty funny. Oh, wow. <laughs> Maybe Pat Eli Manning's listening in as we speak. Right. Yeah, sure. well, you know, it's pretty, it is pretty exciting. I, it's funny. You, you write, you know, you spend five years sort of sitting on your own, um, thinking, interviewing, you know, gathering data, writing about it, and you, you ever think, will this ever come to fruition, and will people actually be interested one day? And there's a little bit of you that always hopes that someone will be interested in something that you do. Well, it clearly caught people's interest, and we're definitely going to all be talking to you more about writing the footwear column, because I think that's fascinating, too, um, cool. and just continues. Great stuff. Thank Any you very final much. questions for Chris? No, I just thanks for joining. I appreciate it. And he left the uh, London, uh, was it the Gay and Lesbian Film Festival in London, just to be with us? Yeah, that's true. My partner is there currently. Well, you can could you run and get him now? It's only uh, seven thirty. Oh no, it's too far away. The one thing I want to add, which was very funny that happened today, is I got an email from someone. They were anonymous, saying um, if you want to do any more research about large penises. I have a large penis. Please get in contact. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Do you know how many people are emailing you right now to get the contact for that person? Yeah, yeah exactly. If you don't want to do the research, Chris, we will. <laughs> I know. I, I can send them all your way. Well, Sid, are we out of time? I'm not sure what our time is right now on this thing. Well, I know we got plenty of time. Thank, Chris, thanks for joining us. and, uh, and, and oh, we'll It's catch my you pleasure, again. Well, Chris, we'll take care. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
It's not every day we get to talk about penis size. Chris Morris Roberts, his piece is online at Outsports, Cockocracy, Size Matters in the Locker Room, Researcher Finds. And I, I wrestle with the same thing about the sample size, is doing the headline. Story. I didn't want to say definitive, so I said researcher, like one person discovered this. Um, but I do find it interesting that the, the reality book is, oh, God, we do this already. And I thought it was interesting when he said no one's ever done research on it. So he says, well, how are you going to do research on something like that? But uh, He did it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the stuff that gets that gets people talking is always interesting to me too. But you know, I think the st- stuff on footwear sounds interesting. I just kind of felt this one would have, for some reason, a little more direct appeal. And uh, sure enough, well, you were right. Well, it's well, it's not every day you get to write about penis size, and so <laughs> in fact, we've been criticized for focusing on penises in the past. And but um, uh, but it was it was it was a fun piece and obviously a fun topic. Uh, Jim, what is? Let's see what we got here. Did you have Harvard beating Cincinnati? I bet you did. I did. Have they beaten Cincinnati? They're up nine with 16 minutes left, so they got a good shot. Yeah, and I do. Well, I'm out of it with with what? I'm out of the billion dollar pool with Colorado going down. So that was the dumbest thing ever. The billion dollar. If you get every every game right, no one has ever gotten every game right ever. <laughs> yeah, and you don't want to be the person that gets only one wrong. You know, like if you get them wrong, right. get a bunch wrong. <laughs> you well, get exactly. one game wrong on the entire thing. Yep. So. All right, well, that's all the time we have this week. We will catch you next week. <laughs>